0: Hi there, I'm David Harvey, I'm here with John Andrews, and this is the Two Texts Podcast. In this podcast, we're two friends in two different countries, here every two weeks talking about two different texts taken from the Bible. This is our second season, it's about the miracles of Jesus, and this is episode 18, and it's called John chapter 9. Part two. So, John, we are back in John chapter nine. Uh, we had a really pretty deep conversation about John chapter nine in the last episode. I had fun. I, I think you did as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I always have fun with you, David. It's marvelous. Come on. Now. So.
0: I think if you've not listened to the last episode, then it's mm. worth going back and listening to that because we're kind of do a lot of groundwork of making sense of this miracle there. So if, if this is if you've ended up listening to this one before the previous episode, then I would recommend just pausing this, jump back one episode, listen yep. to that one, and then come back and join us here for sure. Um, but shall we recap our way through chapter nine just briefly, just to sort of set mm. the scene? Do you want to? Uh, do you want to read verses one through seven? Just frame the miracle for us, John. Do you have
1: that there? Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. I think that's worthwhile because the the miracle itself, of course, is this great sign that John's pointing to, mm. and that sets the whole thing up. And we we in our last podcast, we really talked about the importance of the first five verses, but mm. the first seven include the miracle as well. So it says this, yes. as he, that's Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sent this man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's just so beautiful. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work While I am in the world I am the light of the world After saying this He spit on the ground (laughs) Sorry Made some mud with the saliva And put it on the man's eyes Go, he told him Wash in the pool of Siloam This word means scent. So the man went And washed And came home (laughs) Seeing I love it. It feels feels slightly, not humorous, but there's a lightness to it and a beauty to it. So you've had Mm. this really heavy sort of introductory conversation. And then you get this sort of -of matter-of-factness about this miracle. Well, he went out, he watched, he came back. He sees. There we are. All done. And and even the way the man repeats the story later on, he repeats this Routineness—it's uh, quite striking mm. how that comes across there. <laughs> totally, I'm probably not, I'm probably not wording that right, but that's what it feels like.
0: So then, then this
1: sort of story jumps into
0: this. There's this fascinating little theme works through the story because the neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging ask, well, "Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg?" And then the, mm. you get this whole narrative then about who actually is this guy and is he the guy? There, there's almost this question, well, maybe it's not really the guy that used to be blind, maybe it's somebody else and and it always it, I think it's really interesting that we never find out the man's name he he's variously referred to as the man who was blind, the man who previously was blind, the man who could now see <laughs> he gets this this sort of anonymity which adds to almost as if John mm. never wants you to forget mm. this guy started this story unable to see and it yeah. creates
1: some some almost humorous moments it does and i think the anonymity of the man is almost something you don't notice till it's pointed out and mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things oh yeah what is his name we didn't get his name who is he and so you get <laughs> yes. this sort of and for me david do you know what it does it feels like it feels like you've got this almost mysteriousness around jesus Okay, who, mm. who who healed you? And there's this sort of sense of trying to get to grips with the man who healed the man, and and then mm. you've got the anonymity of the man, and you've almost got this parallel, unknownness in both in both cases where you've got the man who is yes. unknown by name, and then this mysterious figure who's healed him in the background. Now he will become known. To us. And of course, he's, he's known to us at the beginning of the story. But in terms of the, the wider reader or the wider audience, he becomes known. Mm. So you get this sort of almost like a parallel to me, uh, where, where the unknownness of Jesus or the anonymity of Jesus mm. to some extent in the story is paralleled by the anonymity of the man himself. And we mm-hmm. never get to know his name, which is really quite striking.
0: There's more going on here than just what's happening at the at the surface and and then John adds this new piece in verse thirteen to us, and we should possibly be used to this by now because John is definitely choosing the miracle stories mm. based on where they point us about Jesus so in verse thirteen he offers us well that this whole miracle happens on the Sabbath and yeah. th- this creates the challenge n- now around. The well, the Pharisees kind of question. This religious question is is about. It seems to be about Jesus. making of mud. This appears to be work. I think is mm. is how this is read by the religious leaders. Is that is that how you uh, read this? It definitely,
1: yeah. Because the, the man replies, he put mud on my eyes. I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the mm. Sabbath. Mm. And then that. And, and what it does there. So so we've already reflected on this Nicodemus thread running through John. And I think the next little mm. mini nuanced are so powerful because some say, well, because he's not keeping the Sabbath, he can't be from God. And then it says, but others say, but how could a sinner? Like, mm. seriously, boys, how could a sinner do this? This is This is sort of messianic level type miracle that we're talking about. And then it says this, and John puts it so succinctly, so they were divided. A schisma in Greek. There was a schism. (laughs) Absolutely. And of course, John's already lent into this a little bit in that Nicodemus has come to Jesus privately. In our last podcast, you Mm. just just explained so eloquently about the darkness of that connection and how how Nicodemus came out of the darkness to the light, how Judas went from the light Mm. into the darkness. If you've missed that podcast, you must listen to it. Just beautiful stuff around that. But of course, what it's suggesting, Nicodemus's language is: "We know you are a man come from God. We know." So mm. Nicodemus is suggesting to us that actually there's a bunch of us within the Sanhedrin, within the religious community, mm. who think you're pretty cool, but but you're just mm. freaking us out slightly, and so you, you get that <laughs> it, introduction there. And then, of course, in John chapter seven, when mm. there's controversy around Jesus and even those who are sent to report on Jesus come back and go, hey, we have never heard anything like this. There's, mm. We have never heard a man yes. speak like this man. And, and the religious community get very irritated at that. And there's clearly dissent mm. within the community. And Nicodemus is part of that dissent on behalf of Jesus. So there's a little mm. schism there. Now, very, 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 very gentle, but it's there. And then the schism seems to be flagged again by by John here. Mm -hmm. They were divided. And I think that's a sort of a running theme in the Gospel of John. There is a growing division within the religious community because on the one hand, those who believe that Shabbat is the ultimate expression of how to be a good man and how to be a good leader and religious leader. Mm -hmm. And then uh, people are going on the other hand, yeah, but hold on a minute. The guy's blind. And now he sees. You've got to take that into account. So there's a growing division now within this community because of the actions of Jesus. And I think John is definitely leaning into that.
0: I think he's trying to help us see their uncertainty and therefore almost the untrustworthiness of their opinions. Because there's a, well, he can't be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But how does a sinner perform such signs? And and so they can't decide. So they actually turn to the man who was blind and go, well, what do you think? Absolutely. Which almost, at some level, reeks of desperation. <laughs> let's, let's ask the guy, and, and, and so the guy replies, "Well, I think he's a prophet." Which, of course, John wants you to spot. Well, that's not quite right, although he is, you know, going to be in the prophetic tradition. But what I think's hilarious again is that. So we can't decide. So we're going to ask you. So the man mm-hmm. says well, I think he's a prophet. And then they obviously go, man, no, we don't like that answer. So so now let's go and ask his parents. Uh, and and I, I think John's building this scene of just look how uncertain they are. And therefore y- you as the reader can realize they, they don't know what to do about yeah. this. They're grasping at That's straws, right. but they know the answers they don't like. So the, man, the the man's initial answer, I think he's a prophet. No, we don't like that. So they drag the man's parents in. Now they raise this new question to them, like, is this actually your son? Is this the one that you say was born blind? So now now we're not even sure if, <laughs> if this is him. And if it is him, was he definitely born blind? Like, <laughs> what's going on here? It's, it does. And it just speaks to the lack of concreteness of their position, doesn't it?
1: It does. It does. And and you're right, the desperation. It feels like they are groping desperately for the exit door in the midst of mm. the, the sort of smoke in the room. There's got to be an yeah. exit here somewhere. And if we push hard enough, we will find the door. And the harder mm. they push, the worse this looks. Um, and, yes. and, and even they, they have literally backed the parents into a corner as well because, because there's this mm. sort of weird prohibition that anyone who sort of identifies that Jesus is the Christ will be put out of the synagogue. So the parents already know this is out there. They do not want to be put out of the synagogue and shamed. And so mm. they then back the question back to their son. Well, he's of age, ask him. So you're getting mm. this, this sense of just chaos desperation, mm. uncertainty, insecurity and and I think John is showing that sort of growing growing uh, sense of lostness in the religious community mm. which ultimately uh, I think expresses itself in in darkness And it does go back for our viewer. We have been reflecting on this idea that that Jesus is is life and light according to the prologue. Mm and therefore as we're leaning towards G the light we are we are going to be exposed to the truth or his truth and therefore the converse is true as we're moving away from Jesus we are naturally mm-hmm. then sort of moving into darkness around that and 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 that's making that that's making their judgments more and more confused i think around that and i think it's definitely going on there
0: yeah everyone's trying to everyone's trying to sort of punt the ball, for want of a better term. Just don't leave me in the spotlight. And the only person that actually, well, let me say it like this. The Pharisees are uncertain, so they end up with a Mm -hmm. schism. The parents, Mm -hmm. they don't want to get involved because they have this fear. I love the language, the kind of strength of the language in the Greek, that the Jewish leaders had decided that if anyone confessed Christ, yeah. yeah, so we translate that often. Acknowledge that Jesus was the, was the Messiah, but the the Greeks quite simple. If they confessed Christ, they'd be thrown out of the synagogue. The parents say he's of age, so it probably means the boy's over thirteen. I think uh, becoming of age was kind of thirteen plus one day mm-hmm. in the tradition. So, mm-hmm. so it's, they. So, but so you've got this narrative of schism amongst the the leaders, kind of distancing amongst the parents, but yep. every time we cycle back round to the man. He's developed his story. Uh, yes. So every time we meet him, he's a little more confident and he's getting yes. a little more kind of affirmed in what he thinks. So the first time he's like, well, I don't actually know where he is. The second time, I think he's a prophet. right? But then, but then the, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Now they, the Pharisees have kind of tried to double down a little bit. We know this man is a sinner but of course this and we've talked about this in this series before but this is actually a really problematic position to take because yeah. the healing and the man even alludes to this with the healing of someone who is blind mm-hmm. is a is a messianic miracle it's not Absolutely. one that happens in the old testament in fact prophets themselves outside of Elijah and Elisha are not really big miracle workers in the in the Old for Testament sure. traditions, are they? So that's true. So they've they've really cornered themselves with the definition of him as a sinner, which which is difficult for them to to really hold to. Which is where the beauty of the man's situation is really quite powerful. Where he says, "Well, here's what I know:
1: I was blind, yeah. now I'm not." <laughs> it's fabulous. I mean, it's a fabulous. I have to say that that sort of i was my eyes were just on the text as you were just coming mm. to it there david you know whether he is a sinner or not i don't know but one thing i do know i was blind now mm. i see i was blind now i'm not okay mm. answer that for me explain that to me yeah. so yeah. so i and and ironically by by almost trying to avoid the elephant in the room, the guy was mm. blind and now he sees, they literally highlight the elephant in the room and he goes, yeah, I I am the elephant in the room. I, I was blind, <laughs> but now I actually can see. Can you explain that to me and and put that in whatever theological box you want? But that stuff, this stuff doesn't normally happen. And he actually says to them, look, we know this doesn't. Ha- this, there's nothing on the record, biblical record of this even happening. So we are now into territory of of miracles that, forgive my language, are sort of like Premier League type miracles in terms of even the mm. biblical narrative, not a record of mm. a blind man, of a, a person being born blind who who gets his mm. sight. So this is now off the scale. But, but now... It's it's sort of controversial. Well, is he a sinner or not? And the two things don't marry mm. together. And the man himself mm. now with his simple, well, I was blind now I see, is becoming the brand evangelist for Jesus w- without really <laughs> knowing at this stage who Jesus is. He's still not quite sure. The one they call Jesus, yes. he says. So, so that's all he knows at this stage, Jesus' name. He really doesn't know anything about him at this moment but again it it leans into this beautiful here's a man who's had his physical darkness changed he's been literally Mm. brought out of physical darkness to light and as the story progress as the narrative progress it almost looks like he's moving from spiritual darkness towards the light because Mm -hmm. as you've Mm -hmm. said his story every time we circle round to it gets a little bit stronger a little bit clearer and it's nudging Closer and closer to the mm. light. So to go back to our conversation previously, David, where you talked about Nicodemus moving from the darkness into the light. It feels like this mm-hmm. is the trajectory of the man. He's moved literally 100%. from darkness, but he's also moving. His, his, even his confession seems to be moving more and more and more towards the light mm. of who Jesus is. And of course, as he Jesus said himself at the beginning of the story, I am the light. Uh, of the world. So mm. it's it's a powerful trajectory.
0: And and so we're going to keep referring to that because it's going to get more and more important to hang on to that. But meanwhile, look at the Pharisees. Now, they, they just say, okay, so we don't really like that. We don't want to answer that question. I was blind, but now I see. So then they start getting into the mechanics. Well, so what did he actually do? How did he open your eyes? As if that's somehow going to help them come to the conclusion that they want, to mm. which point... The man's, again, look at this. Now he's beginning to recognize his role in this story, that he is the evangelist. Because, because he says, well, well, I told you this already. And, and then he just puts this just brilliant line. Well, do you want to become his disciples too? Like, are you interested in this story because you want to follow him? <laughs> it's, 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 it's beautifully cheeky and quite wonderful.
1: It it feels to me. So this is me. I have to be careful. I'm not now. eisegesis here, uh, David. But mm-hmm. you know, being being of Celtic origin, there's a little sense. Do you know, is, does this feel like he's he's getting his own back on the religious community who've probably walked <laughs> past him, looked down their noses at him, believing he was steeped in sin from his mother's womb, that mm-hmm. his blindness was a product of some evil in his family, his parents, or in himself. Mm-hmm. And here he is now, and he's the centre of attention, and he seems to be quite enjoying being the centre of attention and making mm. them feel as uncomfortable. Now, this is quite remarkable because his parents are deeply intimidated by the by the investigation; they're almost afraid to speak too much. He's he's absolutely mm. sucking the oxygen out of this room now. He's going for it. Yes. Well, come on, uh, you want a bit more? Let's do this. And clearly, and and it's hard to know from the tonation, it feels like he senses the insecurity in the room. He senses the fear in the room mm. and he senses the fact, hold on, these experts, they really don't know what's going on here. And and it's like he's enjoying this moment where, well, I do know what's going on. I was blind, but now I see. Mm. And it feels like he's got the upper hand, which is really strange, really weird. And he seems to be enjoying it.
0: <laughs> yeah, he de- he definitely does, doesn't he? And so then you get then you get a couple of points, which I think. Make a lot more depth and sense to you if you've been tracking with John's Gospels. So the first one mm. then is so they hurl insults at, at him, literally revile and abuse him is yeah. the sort of language used here. You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. unusual little mm. phrase, but mm. but a phrase that you don't see used in kind of comparative Jewish documents uh, very often. But then they, they double down on this. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Yeah, and come so the first part of this is the question of, of the discipleship of Moses, which cannot help but draw you back to the comments in chapter one.
1: Yeah, the the, the connection back to the prologue is really unmissable. It's an unmissable connection. Mm-hmm. The law came through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I mean, that is a big landing Mm. moment in that prologue. And clearly Jesus is not just like following Moses. He is the fulfillment of Moses. He supersedes Moses. And actually everything he's about to bring, Moses only dreamed of seeing in his fulfillment. So so you you get Mm. that, that beautiful sense of that. And of course, added to that, we don't know where he's come from. And of course, John mm. in the prologue has told us, oh, no, I, I know exactly where he's come from. And in fact, before Moses was the one before he existed. So you, you mm. just get this magnificent reconnection to that. And that's an yes. un- I think that is an unmissable link back to the prologue where it talks about light and life that's coming into the world. Mm. He came to his own and they didn't recognize him. They didn't receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And here we have mm-hmm. the religious community struggling to receive Jesus, whatever mm-hmm. way we understand receive, certainly struggling to recognize. Now the blind man or the man born blind is starting to recognize Jesus, starting to see Jesus, and he's moving to this sonship, towards the sonship, and these these incredible scholars Who should, who should be the first to embrace this Jesus Mm. as disciples of Moses are actually in danger of not only not recognizing him, but being, can I say this carefully, rejected. As sons of God, mm-hmm. so it's so if mm-hmm. you if you tie the prologue together with Moses, the recognition, the acceptance, and becoming children of God. I mean, this is all. Mm-hmm. This is now explosive Absolutely. in chapter nine, and mm-hmm. it reaches a even a, a climax. I think as we approach the the climax, we're about to touch on in chapter nine, and even into chapter ten. I think then mm-hmm. all that language of not recognizing um, the Son of God. Um, giving right to believe as children of God, I think it becomes even more powerful in the light of that.
0: Uh, A passage that somebody might want to look at would be John chapter 7, verse 40 through to Mm. verse 43, 44, because this question is is out there. Well, let me read it to you. It says, Jesus Jesus is speaking, and some in the crowd then say, this is really the prophet. And others Mm. said, well, this is the Messiah. But some asked, surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lives? So there was a schism in the crowd because of him. So here you have this same sort of... uh Question that's out there in John's gospel, but it's full of deep irony, right? Surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? So there's that questions out there, right? Well, mm. well, that that needs a little bit of working through. But even and John's never spoke to this, so I think he just knows you as a as a reader know this. There's even, they even then read the question: Well, he can't be the Messiah. Because he's not from Bethlehem. And I think the person that knows the story of Jesus, maybe you've read Matthew and Luke, you realize, oh, wait a minute, that's deeply ironic because when you do get to the point of talking about where he's from, you get it completely wrong. So mm. there's so there's I feel like there's a double level of irony when the when the the man who had previously been blind says, you don't even know where he comes from. Like, mm. like you really don't know where he comes from. You don't know where he was born on earth and you don't know where he comes from with God. So it, it's it's brilliant, this double level of this man's moving closer and closer. The more he talks, the closer he gets to the light. For and sure. the more everybody else talks, the further away they get. Like, they know less by the end than they did at the start.
1: And that really does lean into this sort of, Climactic moment in the story for me, where mm. in, in verse thirty-four it says, "And they threw him out." So you, so you, you get this then that's almost as 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 they are getting more and more frustrated and confused about what's going on mm. here. It, it's it's uh, he at the same time is seem to be getting more and more confident and clear yeah. around what has happened. Then then we've got this climactic clash moment where they reply to him in a very insulting way you were steeped in sin at birth how dare you lecture us and they threw him out mm. and it's the it's almost like to to again the light and the darkness conversation it's the incompatibility of the two things that ultimately though mm. though there was a middle ground where they could have negotiated ultimately this this world that's moving away from Jesus and this worldview that's moving towards Jesus, they, they just can't be compatible. And you get this, mm. this not only division from within the religious community, but now this is is expulsion where this man mm. is cast out of the, out of the synagogue, or at least out of that place at that moment. Yes. And, and I love the very, I love the very next phrase in verse 35. It says, Jesus Heard that they had thrown him out, and I'd love to know how he heard that. So was this just news out there? Have you heard the latest, or had someone passed this on to him? But I love this, and then mm. I love this next bit David. But I find this just beautiful. I find this this yeah. redemptive motif in John. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and then it says this: and when He found Him, so mm. so they throw the man out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and Jesus found him the The word made flesh finds the man who is thrown out and and reengages mm. with him and I just find that a beautiful there's a lovely now shift of gear about to take place in this sort of caustic mm. divisive argumentative environment now there's a shift of gear that takes place, and we get this this beautiful found moment. So the man has had a healing moment. now he has a found moment in this relationship mm. with Jesus. I just love that.
0: And, and the interconnectedness of verse 35 to34 is really important. so don't don't miss that. The Pharisees have, well, they've just doubled down mm. on the the mistake from the start of the story. The story starts with who sinned. Mm. We've had this long conversation. 34 verses of backwards and forwards. <laughs> and they basically land on the thing we learned not to be true in verse two. <laughs> so so think, of, think about just the irony again yeah. of that story. You, you were steeped in sin at birth. Jesus has quite literally said that's not the cause of not the true. problem here. Mm. But we're going to double down on that. But there's an interesting interplay there. This, because that then becomes this is the way if you're not going to, if you're, what was it Jesus said? Well, actually, it's neither the man nor his parents who sinned, mm-hmm. but this has been done to make manifest the works of God. So the, the Pharisees essentially say, no, we're going to reject what has been made manifest and we're going to hold yeah. to this system, which says, no, we think it's something you did. So, and they throw the man out. And I think about John's irony here. They throw the man out from what? Well, they throw him out from the synagogue, but there's also a sense they throw him out from this way of thinking. So the True. man is now citizenshipless; right? He's yeah. lost his abode. He's lost his place. So what's beautiful is he then meets Jesus or Jesus finds him and invites him into a different way of being. Well, do you believe in the Son of Man, right? So, because, and at some level, the man has to because he's nowhere else to go. His his old way of thinking, as much as his old way place of being, both have been rejected by him, right? And and then you get this, and I do think it's important to note Galatians four verse eight. This beautiful line where Paul says, "Now that God," and then he corrects Mm. himself, and I love the fact that he leaves the correction in the text. He says, "Now that, or rather, are known." by god beautiful and beautiful. we do this thing we do this thing about oh this is when i found jesus and i think john 9:35 reminds us that he found you <laughs> he, yeah. was, he was looking for you and, and and he found you so so like a lot of a lot of heavy lifting going on in two in two little verses uh, right there That i think give us you know a, a real sense of what john's trying to help us with in this chapter gorgeous gorgeous So, John, I'm going to read verse 35 through to the end of the chapter because we didn't read these in the last episode, and I think there's some stuff we don't want to miss here. So you've alluded to it already, but verse 35 says this, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, Mm -hmm. he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are are we blind to? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your
1: guilt remains
0: Wow! Like, Oof, there's a punch to the end of the passage <laughs> absolutely
1: yeah I, this this lovely piece of of brilliant conclusion to this story i think it's it, it really is magnificent and and i love the line that really moved me i i literally as you read it i i responded emotionally mm. just listening to it where jesus is in verse 37 you have now seen him in fact it is he is the one speaking to you mm. and for me david that that's the marrying of now the magnificence of the physical act of bringing mm. light to the man's darkness and mm. the whole point of the real physical act of bringing light to his darkness was so that this man could see now I know he mm. gets to see him literally but of course we, we know we can see Jesus spiritually but isn't there a beautiful mm. connectedness okay his eyes are totally. open and now he sees the Messiah he mm. sees the son of man for mm. himself and and I love the the linkage there I love the trajectory of that I love the fact that Mm. His physical sight is the precursor mm-hmm. to this spiritual revelation that is that is taking place. Mm. And he's now seen something that the religious community is struggling to see. He is recognizing mm-hmm. what they are struggling to recognize. He is now receiving mm. what they are struggling to receive. And mm-hmm. it's just, oh my goodness, <sighs> you, you can again see the Johannine dots. Flashing and mm. connecting all of this text. So <laughs> it's, true. It's amazing. it's amazing.
0: If if you were to open up your spreadsheet software, Microsoft Excel <laughs> or something like that, and you could you could create columns. You could have the the man who was born blind in one column. You could have you could have the the religious leaders in another column, and then down the side you'd have seeing. Spiritual seeing, knowing who Jesus is, knowing where Jesus is from, and at the start of the story, the man can he see? He has an X. No, he can't. Can, does he know who Jesus is? No, he doesn't. Can he see spiritually? No, he do- no, he can't. But slowly over the course of the story, his X's turned to checks. Don't they? Yes, now he can see physically. By the end, he can see spiritually. But there's this really dark side to the story, where True. by the end. The Pharisees can see physically, but they're unable to see spiritually. And so it has this kind of dark twist at the end where, where it Jesus says, Well, I've actually come, and we've seen him cause division. There's a schism even in this passage. There's a schism in verse in, in chapter seven. And Jesus comes for, for a moment of judgment. It's going to, it's going to invite people to see. But some who see will choose not to, Jesus says. It's like, it's, it's yeah. got this weight to the end of this story, isn't there? A warning
1: Oof. to the end of this story. Wow. Massive. And in fact, if, if we are prepared to nudge from 9 into 10 and i know that 10 stands magnificently in its own right in terms of the messaging of 10 it's phenomenal but Mm. but if we were to if we were to go from 41 and 9 straight into 10 my goodness listen you you get Mm. the sense of uh, that sense of a big boom moment at the end it's even more powerful Mm. because because jesus said if you're blind you'd not be guilty of sin but now that you claim to see. Your guilt remains. Then he goes on to say, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by his name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own He goes on ahead of them And his sheep follow him because they know his voice Almost there, I'll Mm. I'll stop in a moment But they will never Mm. follow a stranger In fact they will run away from him Because they do not recognise the stranger's voice Mm. Jesus used this figure of speech Look, Listen to this But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them so, mm. so like naturally, we often bring that division between the magnificence of the story of ten and in leading or nine and in leading into chapter ten, which mm. has the big "I am the gate, I am the good shepherd," and they it all mm. almost feels like chapter ten sits on its own, but actually, it we're we're led into the sort of magnificence of this sheep and sheep pen and gate and good shepherd and voice and recognise me and don't recognise me. All of that's coming off the back of this story of the man born blind and the fact that he's now recognising who Jesus is. He's now hearing the voice of Jesus. He's now following Jesus and the community Mm. that should have seen Jesus should have recognised Jesus and should be hearing the voice of Jesus is now mm. finding themselves on the outside of the sheep pen. And I cannot help but see the incredible connectedness of John chapter 10 yeah. into this, the story of the man born blind. Does, does that make sense to you? Or, or is that- <laughs>
0: Well, well, so we can't stop there, John, because <laughs> because you're 100% you're right. So chapters, verses, and headings are all <laughs> later editions. So when John's writing, he isn't thinking, I'm writing John chapter 9 here. He's just telling us the story. So
1: yeah. you
0: must, in my opinion, you must read until there's a natural break. And here, if nobody believes you, I'm going to defend you further, John, because keep, if we keep going, right, let me just read it just briefly in that sense. So the fact... Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. That's John chapter 10, verse 6. But but then Jesus moves into a section where he says, therefore, Jesus says again. So nobody got it. I'm coming in for round two, says Jesus. (laughs) Very truly, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Now, there's an, surely there's an allusion there to this man who's just been healed, right? Indeed. Who was supposed to be looking after him was the teachers, was the religious experts, but they but they weren't, right? And in fact, mm. they, they, they've actually, the man's now not listening to them. In fact, he was actually teaching them. So, but Jesus is the gate and whoever enters through him will be saved. And then you get this beautiful text that many of us will know. Verse 10 of chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So then Jesus now doubles down again. I'm a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, sorry. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. So now we're projecting into what's Mm. coming. Mm. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Right, and and why is this? Jesus tells us in verse thirteen because he's a hired hand and he does not care for the sheep. Bear in mind, this man has been abandoned. Right, he's been kicked mm. out. Jesus, mm-hmm. now I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. That might be John's answer, and we're living in the highly metaphorical here, at John, for sure. Yeah. yeah, but that might be John's answer to your earlier question: How did Jesus find him? Right? Mm. How you know when you mm. said how did Jesus hear that? Um, yeah. That he'd been, kicked, he'd been out. kicked out. Well, the good shepherd knows where his sheep are, right? It's, uh, John's. He's tying it all beautifully together, and he, and he lays his life down. And then he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Huge theological conversation there, but let's just briefly jump over that. But I'm bringing them also. They'll also listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And the reason my father loves me is because I lay down my life. No one takes it on me. So we're now really pushing forward. I have the authority to lay it down, the authority to to take it up again. But this now, okay, this is the end of the chapter of of the story that we're dealing with, in my mind. Because the Jews who heard these words were again schismed. Another divide Mm. happens. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed. So they've really ramped up the accusations now. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said... These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. And here's your sentence that lets you know this is the end of the story. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind, boom, um, and, and and then the next verse is a new whole story beginning.
1: Yeah. So
0: actually, I mean, there's a lot we've had to try and do there, but this story of the man who was born blind really runs from chapter nine, verse one, through yep. to chapter ten, verse twenty-one. Uh, I, I mean, that's how I that's how I would encapsulate yep. that, anyway. For sure. John, I mean, for sure. And look at the theological depth that Jesus is now churning through. And really, you see, what are the signs doing? They're pointing us forward to what Jesus is going to do. And mm-hmm. Jesus joins all of the dots for us there at that point, doesn't he?
1: Phenomenal. And of course, it, it, the, 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 you, you realize then the story of the man born blind in chapter 9 is linking even around that three of the massive I am sayings. Mm, so, I yes. am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Boom. I mean, the whole yeah. thing is being yeah. pulled together. So, we then see, yes. wow, this is a loaded sign. This thing is mm. heavy duty. Yes. And not only is it heavy duty because, wow, man born blind, that's a truly messianic. We, we mm. don't see that miracle floating around at all mm. in the biblical text. So, it's an out standing miracle but actually Mm. the story of this man coming from the darkness into the light is now linking together some of the biggest theological ideas about the identity of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus on earth and in this context and what does that ministry of Jesus do? It divides Mm. so some are going this is bonkers we cannot possibly Mm. accept this and others are going how can we ignore this? This cannot be from anywhere other than God. And so you get this growing controversy around the identity of Jesus, which is, I think, demonstrated through the signage of these incredible miracles, of which, probably a shock to our listeners, the the miracle of the man born blind is one of the most outstanding moments in the whole of the Gospels. And yet it's, Mm -hmm. I think, for a vast majority of of followers of Jesus, they just see it as another miracle. And it's one of the most outstanding and heavy and weighted Mm -hmm. and influential miracles that Jesus performs.
0: It feels to me like we have had sign one, right, which now comparatively, and I say this with with a lot of reverence, but comparatively Mm -hmm. seems quite straightforward. Mm -hmm. We turn in. Water into wine, but each miracle—I'm imagining a crank that's being Ooh. ratcheted tighter. And we've kind of the first ratchet when you're when you're ratcheting something up, like to to secure it to your van or your trailer or something. you are ratchet, and the first few ratchets actually go quite easily, don't they? And you're ratcheting and you're ratcheting, and then there gets a moment where where you start thinking, man, this thing's tight now, and and I might only have a couple of clicks before it all blows open, if, and I can over it, and and well. I feel like John chapter nine has got us there. Like we're into the last mm-hmm. few clicks and there's one more sign coming. <laughs> and yeah. that's what we're going to talk about in our next two episodes. But there's one more sign coming, which is the death and resurrection of Lazarus. But but it's there, isn't it? it we're just, it's it so finely balanced. The tension is is massive. And, and so absolutely. I just, I want to leave that tension just there, John, and just make one little comment. Before we go, which is chapter 9, verse 38, which I think is a beautiful little moment. It says, and the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. (laughs) Now, the reason I just mentioned that is just really, it's a beautiful little moment here because this, the last time that worship was mentioned in John's gospel was when Jesus was having a theological debate with the the woman of Samaria about where is the right place to worship. And and what's fascinating is it kind of stayed unresolved, that question. Well, you Jews think we should worship here, and we we Samaritans think we should worship here. And Jesus kind of leaves it as it's the wrong question to ask. And it's been left hanging out there. And here, the next time the word worship's used in John's gospel, we have now cut through all of the theological debate about whether it's Samaria or Jerusalem. And the man says, Lord, I believe, and he worships Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, again, it's, it's too significant for me just to miss it, that it's John sure. just stitching all of these pieces together for us in this beautiful gospel.
1: Absolutely. Moving, moving worship from a place to the person absolutely beautiful love that magnificent stuff okay so that's it for today thank you so
0: much for listening we hope that you enjoyed it if you'd like to get in touch with either of us about something that we said in this episode then you can reach out to us on podcast at twotext.com or by liking and following the Two twotext podcast on facebook instagram twitter and youtube Leave us a comment in any of those spaces to tell us where you're listening from and what you think of the show. And if you really enjoy our show, we'd love it if you'd share it with a friend or two. Don't forget you can listen to all of our previous episodes on www.2texts.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. But that is it for today. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode. But until then...
1: Goodbye.